Also, okay, her heels bothered me so much. I'm like, girl, those are at least four inches. I would not be comfortable. And of course, she's an AI, so whatever. Like, does she feel pain, though? That's what I'm curious. She clearly does, has... How can an AI walk in heels? That's the real question at the, the core of Ex Machina. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Movie Struck, a podcast about movies and the people who watch them. I'm your host, Sophia Ricciardi, and I am joined today by my dear friend and favorite cat mom, Flora Zhu. Flora, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thanks, So I'm really happy to be here. It's going to get really existential and hopefully not too boring. So yeah. <laughs> yes. So, so on that note, I only have one question for you. It's the question I ask every guest on the show. And really, it's the only question that I always ask on the show. Why did we watch Ex Machina? Oh God, like we as in like me and everyone or like how I how I feel about this <laughs> Us thing. on this episode. <laughs> uh, for me, okay, can we like actually start with like how I felt about it when I first started? Is that okay? Like, yeah. Oh my God. So yeah, I go was completely mind fucked when I first watched this movie. Um, mm. It came out towards the end of senior year of high school for me. I was watching it and mm. for like three days straight after the movie, I kept think I would think about the movie, I would get triggered or whatnot, and I would think, why does she leave him? Oh my gosh, she just left him. That's all <laughs> I would think about. And mm-hmm. I think this movie has aged really well. Like I've watched it so many times yes. and every year I'm like, wow, that's more and more relevant. Oh wow, I understand more. Yeah, I really like that because AI is super relevant. It makes you think a lot. It's super existential and mm-hmm. there are a lot of relevant topics now. Also because the cast is fire. Like Oh, you, yeah. oh my god. I always forget that Oscar Isaac is in this movie. I, and know, then I, I think right? it's because he's got like the shaved head look going on. And the I'm flashes. so used to like, I'm like, oh, Oscar Isaac, he's got to have like the floppy hair. But I, and, and you get, you're just like, oh, wow, fantastic. And then, you know, Domino Gleason, Gleason is also great in this. Um, like, <laughs> a lot of st- Ex Machina cast went on to be Star Wars alum. <laughs> I know. I was like, okay, the two main characters, great. They're back in it. Um, I actually really love Alicia Vikander because she's also a man from yes. Uncle, which was my other choice because I love. <laughs> um, she's fantastic. And then Sonoya, um, she is mm-hmm. in Crazy Rich Asian. So literally everything huh? we love about this cast is elsewhere <laughs> in the movies we love. This is actually Alicia Vikander's breakout movie, if that's what you would say. Or like one of them. Yeah, I remember when it came out, yeah. like there was a lot of buzz around her in particular because this was her big her big breakout role, mm-hmm. like you said, this is the first major picture that she was really in. And she does an amazing job. Oh, yeah. But also, I was, like, thinking in the movie, I was like, wait, that can't be her, right? And this was before, like, CGI, like, really blew up. <laughs> or maybe it was just not. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just super sheltered. But, like, I didn't really understand, like, the whole green screens. I didn't understand a lot of that stuff. So to see, like, a walking mm-hmm. robot around, it was like, oh, my God, that's <laughs> so cool, you know? So. Yes, uh, just sort of like a blanket statement for this movie is the special effects are incredible. Oh, yeah. And it's special effects in like the way that they integrate the sci-fi aspects of the story with a very like grounded location. Because if this is not a movie where there are crazy explosions or battles going on necessarily, it's it's much subtler than that. But the way that they make all of the mechanical elements look completely seamless in this movie um, is really, really an impressive feat of... Uh, CGI and green. I think it's a little bit beyond green screen, but it's essentially yeah. just subbing out pieces of the body for what is seems to be a semi-transparent mechanical 
chest or what have you. Um, I mean, it's really, really impressive. For an audiophile such as yourself, because I know you've done like sound design, <laughs> you always love the score and whatnot. Mm-hmm. When Ava moves around and you hear like the little whirs of her body, <sighs> oh, I was like, I have to talk to you about that. Like, <laughs> it is so. This movie sounds amazing. I know. They do such a good job with ambiance setting and whatnot. Um, which also I kept thinking like at the end, you know how, you know, there's music. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, it's a good ending. There's a bad ending. Oh, the villain and whatnot. Like you can tell, yes. you can tone set with this sound of like, you know, or just the score. You mm-hmm. don't know who wins in the end. You don't know if it's a good ending or not because the music is so like serene and like, wow, she's moving on. But like, you have to realize she's not a human and she literally just murdered two, one person is going to murder another one if Caleb doesn't get out. But we'll never know. Yes. So <laughs> I was just like, wait, hold on. Are we on her side or not? And the music just makes you mm-hmm. feel happy for her. Or at least that's my yeah. feeling for it. Because it's so like lighthearted and like, it's almost, it's so sensical at that point. Mm. Yeah, the score does a fantastic job of sort of giving the idea of the inner feelings of the characters at times. Because we see a lot of, what we'll see in this movie when we dive in is there's a lot of very beautiful uh, set design, landscape, lighting. And it's used in different ways to be off-putting, but the score is usually our best indication of a character's inner monologue, if you will. Uh, It's the thoughts and feelings without being said. And this is a movie that has a lot of inner monologue and subtext going on. Uh, (laughs) It's our first A24 flick of the podcast. We're uh, going diving into some film bro fan favorites. Uh, (laughs) We get that nice big logo when we jump right in there. And a spiral of glowing DNA spins around as we sort of enter a very sleek, minimalist title sequence. We open with this ambient music on an office, very sleek, technological looking, where uh, Domino Gleason at his desk receives a text, gets an email. And we sort of watch both from the perspective of his desk webcam and him and his coworkers as he celebrates whatever this message is that he's received. We don't know its exact details necessarily, but immediately after this, we cut to him flying in a helicopter over these beautiful mountain vistas towards a mystery man's estate. (laughs) The pilot, he's like, when will we get to the estate to the pilot? And he's informed that they've been flying over said estate for two hours now to just give an idea of how massively wealthy this mystery man is can we just like <laughs> appreciate that flex yeah I, like okay you ever wanted to own a mountain yeah yeah like okay it's just hundreds and hundreds of acres sure. and it's all his i'm like bro i get it you want isolation couldn't even hike that in a day no everything about it is just so absurd but i love it and it's just like yes i think if we go back a little bit like you know you see the webcam mm-hmm. focusing on uh caleb a little bit and whatnot it mm-hmm. you know you bring it up later on in the movie but it's like almost creepy because you know he's being watched but you don't know who the hell is watching him right now right right which is like also so unethical but anyways um <laughs> yeah weird flex but okay he's entering this mystery man's house estate yeah he he's flying in via helicopter the pilot uh, lands and informs him that this is as close as he's allowed to get to the building <laughs> and tells him to follow the river. He'll get there eventually. Domino Gleason takes off trudging through the forest, uh, noticing he has no cell signal. So we really get an understanding of how isolated this location is. Um, in many ways, this movie is almost like a bottle episode of a show because it really does all take place within this one compound. But as, as he's sort of marveling at the lack of cell service, he spots a satellite in the distance and approaches the front door of the 
uh, home. An AI voice tells Caleb Smith, as we're learning Domino's character name is, oh, oops, uh, to approach the console. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things... I, this is something that movies do sometimes that makes sense from a screenwriting perspective and a storytelling perspective, but irritates me as someone who has to give character names on a podcast where they'll wait until a few minutes into the movie or after a character has already been on screen to give us the name of that character because you don't need to know his name up till this point. You know, we don't need to know his name is Caleb. It's not important to the plot. We just need to know dude goes on trip to isolated location. But as someone who was taking notes on the plot of the movie, I was like, what is his name? Yeah. <laughs> IMDb, help me. I like realized, because I, I had watched this movie like four times already over like the course of 2014 till now. And I still forgot mm-hmm. their names. Like I only yeah. remembered Ava because she's the most important technically. But right. like all I saw was Oscar Isaac and Donald Gleason. Like that's all I saw. Exactly. So yeah. Exactly. But I kind of like that. I, in this case, yeah. I appreciate it because, like, you kind of forget you need to know their names for a bit. Like, you know, like, you still want to know for their names, but when you're yeah. watching it, you're like, yeah. Yeah, there's the advantage of only really having three, maybe four characters who are around much, if at all, in this movie mm-hmm. that you need to remember. So it's not too hard to differentiate, even if you don't remember their names, which is nice. But this is Caleb Smith. He approaches the console outside the door, which photographs him and makes a key card so that he can enter the residence. And like every DMV photo I've ever taken in my entire life, it comes out terrible. Uh, (laughs) That might have been the funniest moment of the entire movie when it takes the first 10 minutes, takes the picture of him and it immediately prints it out. Uh, and it's just the most scared and shocked looking Domino Gleason facing embossed onto this card. Do you know when, um, what's his name? Han Solo is like encased in the thingy yes in the carbonite yes that face i was i was just like that that's parallel i don't know I, it doesn't exactly matter it. star wars like Kameo, exactly. i don't know but oh it was so perfect <laughs> <laughs> it's like a one moment of comedy in an otherwise very serious uh film so caleb taking his new key card walks into a very dark building door closing behind him Entering this house, light piano music kind of picks up as he finds himself in a very expensive-looking room that has elements of nature and brutalist architecture combining all in one. It just screams like rich person architecture. Like this is an episode of uh, Open Open Door, and this is a very out of touch celebrity's house. But as he's walking around, he can't find anyone else. Continuing in deeper, he comes to a deck overlooking the river where Oscar Isaac who, as we'll later learn, is named Nathan, hits a uh, punching bag. He's working out. Caleb says hello, and Nathan welcomes him in a very casual, fun way. It's not a very serious interaction on Nathan's end. I think he calls him bro in this scene. (laughs) I mean, here's the thing to me is that, like, Donald Gleason does a really good job being, good job at being awkward. Like, I am so uncomfortable this entire time because I'm like, bro, just Mm -hmm. like, bro, that's what I was thinking. I was like, bro, just shake his hand. Just be chill. Like, are you this awkward? Which is a testament to like awkward programmers. And then this, (laughs) you find out he's the CEO and whatnot. He's flexing. This is really intimidating because it's expensive. You're in the middle of nowhere. This guy has no idea where he is. So like, I get the scene. So it's like when you're you're a fly Mm -hmm. on the wall, you're like, cringing at how awkward he is but it's also a very real situation so i'm like empathizing but not empathizing so i i this entire situation makes me uncomfortable yeah i think this that do a really good job of using sort of the disconnect between the way nathan talks and the status that he has because we'll learn that nathan is an incredibly wealthy tech billionaire like young genius coder type 
uh, character who has invited Caleb here to take part in an experiment of his, and it's a, a great honor to have won this contest, yada, yada, yada. And there's sort of this power imbalance between the two, mm-hmm. and the way that Nathan is always so casual in their conversations uses very, like... Um, very casual language, very a lot of slang, um, and Caleb always seems to be just sort of walking on needles around him. Mm-hmm. Uh, really helps sell that dynamic, and both the actors, Oscar Isaac and Dominic Gleeson, do an amazing job of playing both the awkward, kind of intimidated programmer and the like god complex young programming genius billionaire. <laughs> what character archetype would that be exactly? <laughs> it's oh. not quite a Tony Stark because it's not like he's not like oh. a he's not charming at all, even though he tries to kind of present a very like friendly face he, he's more um well he's more villainous quite frankly yeah it really is i think they do a good job at making him almost sinister in a different way and i don't know mm-hmm. how i think it's too early to say in this plot but right away you get it i think they introduce the dynamic so well i'm on the edge of my seat most of this movie honestly mm-hmm. Because I don't know who's going to react at what time. I don't yeah. know if that's just me, but that's also why I enjoyed the movie. It's just because it's not predictable in the way you think it would go. Yeah, the movie uh, puts us into... Uh, so Caleb will sort of be our POV character mm-hmm. for this movie. And I think it does a really good job of putting us into his mindset in terms of we don't know what to make of the situation. And we only learn what he learns, which helps us stay in that point of view throughout the rest of the movie. Um, like for this scene when we see uh, Oscar Isaac take the time to drink a smoothie and talk about how <laughs> hungover he is before kind of, you know, get ch- starting to talk to uh, Caleb. Nathan sees how freaked out by just how much everything with the estate and wealthy tech billionaire, it, all of this is to Caleb. Uh, and he says he gets it, but I'm like, you, but he's like, you need to move past it so we can just be Nathan and Caleb, two dudes, which was the name drop for Nathan in this movie. They walk down into a very sci-fi looking hallway. Oh. Uh, lots of concrete, smooth lines and like recessed lighting in the floors. <laughs> there was no transition here. I was a little disturbed because like, where? how did they get, get downstairs? Not that it's yeah. important, but I'm just curious. No, I think, it's a, I think it's a good point because they do a lot of interesting cuts in this movie to kind of control the space that we're in. And I think this is actually a good example of it. Because basically the way this house works is there's the upper level where there's always windows into nature and you get a, it feels like a house. And then there's the lower level, which is where they both have their bedrooms, where um, the Ava rooms are. This is where our concrete hallway, definitely not of doom is. Oh, God. <laughs> and they love, they love to never show the exact transition from one to the other. They love to hard cut. And I think that helps give a sense of like how con- self-contained each of these areas are and how mm-hmm. they have very different functions in the movie i never thought of it like that i was i always felt so disjointed but it's not something i was conscious of but that makes a lot of sense i mean on the one hand it was also unsettling for a viewer to just jump cut film noir films are really famous for this where they just cut from action to action because there's no need to see all the in-between stuff i think this is serving a different purpose in this movie but they're doing something very similar where it's like well we don't need to see them moving from room to room but they're using it in a way that unsettles the audience as opposed to just speeds us through the plot so we can find the Maltese Falcon sooner, you know? Do you think it was very intentional with the way they, it plays out through this movie? Because these transitions happen over and over again. I think it's very intentional. I don't think it's an issue of, like, a jump cut or mm-hmm. something. I think that they were like, let's let's unsettle our audience a little bit. As they're walking down this hallway, Nathan explains the pass card that Caleb got earlier, which will only allow Caleb to open doors to places he's allowed to go. So there are some rooms that are off limits to him. And as Caleb tries one of the doors, he finds himself in a very, like, hotel-nice looking room. 
uh, notably with no windows. I mean, it it's everything in this house is made of concrete, which personally I don't find very cozy. And Caleb also seems to not find particularly welcoming. But it does look like there's a nice bed in there and he's got like his own hotel bathroom situation going on. It's... I am still like formulating my thoughts on it because it's bare, but like it's got everything you need and it's nice and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But also, I'm like, hold up, like Caleb's the only guest here technically. I just have a lot of questions as to how Nathan lives at this point, you know. <laughs> so, anyways, yes. I, I, it's I'm still disjointed at this point because, yeah, <laughs> yes. Nathan's like, oh, you know, what's wrong? Is it because there's no windows in here? And he goes on to explain that there's no windows in this room uh, and in this whole basement area because this isn't a house. It's a research facility. Um, And Nathan wants to share with Caleb what he's working on. But Caleb needs to sign an NDA first. Uh, (laughs) Non-disclosure agreement. A (laughs) non-standard For all you out there. (laughs) A non-standard non-disclosure agreement, which is pretty common in uh, any industry that has any sort of projects or secrets to protect. I have signed a few NDAs in my day. They freak me out. Uh, As Caleb... The concept of an NDA is very scary to me, because it's like... Who See, is this is the point me. where I think as someone who has had to sign NDAs before, it actually lost some of the impact of how scary it would be. Because at this point, someone hands me an NDA and I'm just like, yeah, whatever. I, you, don't, you don't mean to talk about this project. I, I, mean, um, I get it. But as Caleb, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when It's like exposure therapy. Like the more you see an NDA, the less worried about it you get. But Caleb very intelligently reads over this one before he signs it. And he notes that it's not very standard. There's specifically the clause he reads out would allow Nathan to essentially monitor anything Caleb says, does, looks up, reads, etc. To see if he had sold any secrets. And even including, I think the thing that caught me was anything he says out loud. Not just things that he types or writes or emails, what have you. That's, to me, that's why I'm so disturbed because... Also, I love how symbolic this stupid little NDA is because he's already done it and we know this. And sorry, I'm spoiling it oh, again. Yeah. But this mofo has already Blanket done it. Like spoiler warning for the podcast. Yeah, know, right? yeah. Like, oh my God. So what was the point of the NDA, right? It's just purely, at this point, a gesture. And he knows Caleb's going to yes. like sign it. Yes, it seems like Caleb thinks he should have a lawyer look at it for a moment, <laughs> but Nathan is able to persuade him to just sign it anyway, because if you, you could get a lawyer to look at it, but then, then you might miss out on this opportunity to be part of history or what have you. You gotta learn all my cool tech secrets. The movie could have literally just ended if Caleb didn't want to sign it. Honestly. <laughs> yes, and scene. <laughs> uh, I mean, oh, you know what? We'll talk about the ending later. But I'm just saying it wouldn't have gotten that far. It wouldn't have escalated so far. It's true. It's true. Is the NDA the inciting incident? Maybe. (laughs) Nathan then asks Caleb if he knows what the Turing test is, and Caleb helpfully explains for any audience members who might not know, like, yeah, it's when a human interacts with a computer, and if they don't know they're interacting with a computer, the computer passes, and a pass means that that computer has artificial intelligence. He goes on to guess, like, do you have an AI that you want me to administer the test to? And Nathan's like, yes, you're the human component in this Turing test, which kind of sets up the plot of the movie from here on out. So Caleb is here to administer the Turing test to an AI that Nathan has developed. And Caleb says a line that will stick with Nathan and me for a while. If you've created a conscious machine that's not the history of man, that's the history of gods. We go from there directly into session one with Ava. And the way that they structure this movie is we go by sessions. So every time we enter a new session, which is essentially a new day, uh, Ava pops up colon in the session. 
uh, number. I loved the font. I know it's such a small detail, but I loved it's literally such a good font. Oh, no, it's right? oh. such a good font. <laughs> Just um, a little if thing. you like sci-fi fonts, <laughs> someone who is much more knowledgeable about them than I is, I think it's typeset of the future or typesetting into the future. Um, it is a oh. blog where uh, this guy like does really in-depth analyses of the different fonts used in different sci-fi movies. I think he's done like 2001 A Space Odyssey. I will link it in the show notes because it is a fascinating That read. is so cool. I didn't know that was like its own little study thing. Because yeah. I, I don't know why. It's like even like when you watch Marvel movies and there's font, it's like you don't see these fonts. You don't see these captions often or, you know, like just on text, on screen text. So when this happens, it's like in your face. Mm-hmm. You take notice to it. <laughs> Imagine if this is like in Papyrus or not <laughs> like Comic Sans. Oh yes. God! Oh. that's an excellent point. You know, if this has been a font, for, if this has been a font that I recognized, it wouldn't have hit as much. And it's it's very minimalistic in the same way that a lot of the house is designed. Mm-hmm. So it helps create that cohesive look for the rest of the movie. Without it, the titles are inherently disruptive because it's a black screen with a title on it. But because the font matches the aesthetic so far, it's not as disruptive as it could be. It, it really keeps the viewer in the narrative, even though it's immediately tells you like this, no one in the diegetically in the movie is seeing these titles pop up. It's, it's for the audience's benefit. I have a question. So I know it's yeah. just session one, but like throughout this movie, did you ever feel like a sense of urgency or like, did you ever want to feel like, okay, get on with it. Like Nathan's explanations are really slow. They can be borderline patronizing. And like, he's explaining mm-hmm. the key card. We're like, yeah, we get it. Okay. Move on. Right. I always felt rushed during this movie. Like I was like, come on, get to it. Like I want to know, but the mm-hmm. pacing is so slow. Not, not like slow, but I think it, it's so intentionally like, keeps you there and i i find it very irritating and like unsettling as well <laughs> and maybe that was the point but like i it took me like again four times to watch this movie to s- realize how uncomfortable i was mm. i don't know if you felt that but maybe i'm overanalyzing i don't know yeah i think i think i go kind of both ways on that because a part of me that's like a sci-fi nerd and knows how these Stories with AI tend to go. I'm like, all right, when's when is shit gonna hit the fan? When's something's either going to turn evil or turn on its creators? We don't know which variant yet. And the part of me that knows that that is likely the end game did feel a certain sense of like this is of urgency. I guess I would say like this is two men who are slowly trudging towards an inevitable end. Yeah. Um, but I, I personally think that kind of works in favor of the movie. Because part of me is like, all right, we can we can skim past this Turing test identification. But I do think that's kind of important to have some of those explanations in in case someone it doesn't know. Yeah, uh, but I, I think the pacing of the movie sort of works to kind of build that dread in you. It's either for a second time viewer or a genre savvy viewer, it's a feeling of dread. Uh, and for a first time viewer or someone who's maybe less familiar with the sci-fi genre, I think it does a pretty good job of building suspense in, in, in more of the Hitchcockian sense there of like mm-hmm. something is wrong. What is it? What's going to happen? Versus now I've seen this movie a couple times now. It's more of a dread of like, I know where this is going. I can see yeah. all the signs of this going wrong very early on. We can see the the beginning of these these problems that are threads that'll be pulled. Uh, I think the movie's pacing works in that regard, but it can also drag a bit. It is a nearly two hour long movie uh, that ultimately not very much happens in. When you think of it like that, and it's only within like this house slash research facility. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it feels like a long time, but also a short time. It's weird. Yeah anyways yeah it's two hours of viewing time and it's maybe like four or five days of 
real quote unquote time. Hmm. So what a what a what a wild weekend they had. <laughs> one faithful uh, week. So session one. One crazy summer. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> uh, we enter a room with a wall just covered in post-its, which is my favorite design aesthetic in anything. They never where get Nathan into it. I wish <laughs> they oh, never go into it. No, oh my god. I we see oh. Nathan put a poster on the wall once. I, I, I think he actually goes down to get it. Like, he looks at a few or takes out. The point is, this poster yeah. wall, post-it notes wall, like, is so underrated. It's aggravating. They, they do such a good job at ignoring it. It's aggravating. It really just becomes part of the background. Uh, in, in set in front of it is a, a trio of monitors where Nathan is watching as Caleb enters uh, an, a different room um, with a, a small kind of booth with plexiglass surrounding it. Inside, he kind of like looks at a crack in the glass wall as though something hit it. Um, and as he's looking through the wall, he sees Ava, a robot with the figure of a human female, although parts of her body are made of these transparent cybernetics and then you can see sort of like the gears inside there's a mesh this is where a lot of the cool special effects come so in cool. um a lot of the very crazy like practical and uh cgi like not monster effects but like body makeup and similar yeah. things and it's, it's I, what i really like about the design of ava in particular is that she's distinctly mechanical but everything is organic shapes it all has a lot of flow to it even though we see all these exposed circuits and casing and i think it, it adds to sort of the question of like is she human is she not I, what, what's going it's on? Distra- I think what's also jarring about her is that it, she's a humanoid, right? Which is like a type of fear trope. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know she's human, she's but she's not human at the same time because she's got the human features. Right. And to me, it's like, I, w- I think when I first watched it, I was so distracted by how cool it was. I really couldn't focus on her because I would mm-hmm. say 2014, you know, it's kind of new-ish for that time or whatnot, but it was just so seamless like, I literally yeah. was like, how did they do that? Is she wearing something? Like, I just had no idea, right? Which I know sounds stupid. And in hindsight, we're just like, yeah, duh, we get it. But as a non, like, movie buff, I guess, for me, the beginning, like, 2014, I was like, oh, my God, I love this movie. It's the greatest thing of all time, you know? So I was just nerding out so much. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I remember watching this for the first time and being like, oh my god, these this is the smoothest looking robot I've ever seen in my life because oh, yeah. I'm used to such like clunky, like Star Wars, Star Trek, Lost in Space, clunky looking robots. And instead, you're like, oh, this is Stormtrooper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and this is this is slicker sci-fi in a lot of ways. Ava and Caleb uh, exchange names. Uh, she's says that she's never met anyone new before, and Caleb's like, well, I've never met anyone like you before either. Uh, and they begin to break the ice. He asks her to tell him something about herself and uh, asks how old she is. And she explains that she's one, just one. She doesn't explain if it's years, days, etc. She always knew how to speak. And she's like, well, isn't this strange since that's something you learn? And then Caleb goes into like a whole linguistic theory about how maybe speech is something you just know. And I kind of missed that part a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I like understood it like the fourth time around, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get the gist of what's happening is he's saying like, well, maybe it's your experience isn't so different from humans. But like the actual linguistic theory was lost on me. You know, in some ways, Caleb is more robotic than the others because he's just so textbook. Like Nathan calls it out, but it's like. Yeah. Dude, just drop your nerdy textbook definitions and just like relax. 
So it's, yeah. I think it's an interesting dynamic because like Ava makes you uncomfortable because she's so intense and she's like, no, I'm just one, right? And you're like, whoa. Right. But Caleb is just so freaking awkward that I I don't <laughs> like watching him at times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she asked Caleb if we'll come back tomorrow and uh, Nathan uses that as his cue to get up from the desk and go over to the wall of post-its and add a post-it to the wall, which I think marks the first and only time in the movie that we'll see someone interact with the wall of post-its. <laughs> Later that night, Caleb is talking to Nathan about how he finds Ava fascinating and Nathan's like, you know, you're a very quotable dude and proceeds to twist Caleb's quote from earlier <laughs> about it's not a step forward for humanity, but a step for like forward for gods into being uh, about how Nathan was not a man, but a god. Uh, and it's kind of our first hint that this, well, this man has a god complex, to put it simply. <laughs> but they do a very good job of kind of uh, letting the audience draw that conclusion as Caleb is drawing it. The more we see of Nathan, the more we understand that he's completely disconnected from reality, mm-hmm. just as his estate is completely disconnected from the rest of the world. I, I have to remember that people cannot hear me roll my eyes, but like I roll my eyes <laughs> so much at Nathan, like twisting yeah. words. Yeah. Because I'm like, dude, hold on. You're not a god here. And when we discuss it, I always, now that we're discussing, I haven't really discussed this in depth with anyone. I'm just like, oh my God, this is like another like testament to what happens in later on in the movie. I'm just like, <laughs> am I, but yeah. at this point, I'm like, am I overanalyzing drawing too much symbolism here? Or is Nathan just a dick and like, you know, he got what he was, was coming for him, you know? Like, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a bit of both. This is definitely a movie where I veer towards the side of pretty much everything is planting the seed for something later on or informs character or themes. Not to reference the last movie we did on this podcast, Shark Boy and Lava Girl, but (laughs) they do something similar in two very different calibers where pretty much every line in the first 30 minutes of the movie will have some effect on the end of the movie, whether it's being referenced back later on or uh, giving us enough character information to understand who someone really is rather than how they present themselves at the beginning. This movie does it in a much slicker, higher caliber way mm-hmm. than Shark Boy and Lava Girl does, where they would say someone's name is Mr. Electrodad and then he'd show up as an electric villain. Here, yeah. we get an understanding of like Nathan has a god complex, um, Nathan thinks he is god. And that oh. informs how he interacts with everyone at the end of the movie and thinks he's infallible. So I, I veer towards most things in this movie being much more intentional uh, than I do just sort of... I mean, Oscar Isaac does an amazing job at Nathan of being insufferable. That, but, <laughs> but that's also very intentional as a choice. Definitely intentional and so well done. But I have to say I actually like Nathan more at this point because he's way more... He's less awkward. And I think mm. I hate cringe so much, much. If someone makes me cringe, I am like, I can't stand you, you know? And Nathan, it's like, mm. you want to know more because he's the smart one or like he's the one who created this. And also a lot of human humans in general like to gravitate towards things that tell them what they are. And Nathan is very good at explaining things or trying to get into Caleb's mind, which may not necessarily be true. Mm. It's like he's mansplaining <laughs> Caleb for himself. <laughs> but in a way, he is. You know, He's just like, oh, I already know what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know why you're uncomfortable. It's claustrophobic or it's yeah. this. And it's, he's like always trying to get ahead of Caleb, which is like, which in and of itself is very arrogant as well. Yeah. Uh, that's my yeah. take on Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Caleb is impressed with this whole 
situation. But he asks, you know, shouldn't Ava be hidden from the examiner during the Turing test? Which Nathan dismisses as he's like, well, the real test is to show you that she is a robot. And then if you still feel that she has consciousness, then we've succeeded. And as Caleb is kind of rambling about how impressive Ava is, Nathan's like, I'm going to stop you right there. I can't explain how Ava works because I just want to have a beer and chill, not give a seminar um, and ask how Caleb feels about her. He's like, she's fucking amazing, which Nathan seems to like. Later on, as Caleb is unpacking in his totally not a bunker room, he sort of like settles in. Uh, We get a little shot of the clock at 2.26 a.m. as Caleb is tossing and turning, struggling to sleep. He picks up a remote and turns on what would normally in any hotel room be a TV, but instead it brings up uh, like a CCTV feed of Ava's room. Like why? Uh, (laughs) Was this intentional? Like did Nathan know about this? And I ask because we know Ava knows she's being watched. Yes. We learn later on that um, Nathan knew about the cameras and the feed going to Caleb's room. So my understanding is that Nathan knows that this is there and put it there intentionally. Hmm. But it is very unsettling to think that you could just turn on a TV and the feed would be just another person doing things. It just goes back to the whole, like, spyware and, like, you know, how Nathan is already spying on Caleb. Ugh. Ugh. I'm uncomfortable (laughs) just... I'm uncomfortable witnessing people spy on one one another already. Yeah. Anyways. Oh, God. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The the camera sort of flips from different angles of Ava at her desk, and eventually she gets up and turns to look straight at the camera. And as she does, the power cuts out, and all the lights in the building go to this, like, blood red. Ugh. Uh, We're on backup power now. The computer informs Caleb that the facility is on lockdown until main power is restored. And after a moment, the power comes back on. Uh, Caleb exits his room and enters the spooky sci-fi concrete hallway, walking past a series of eerie uh, faces on display. They look like masks that go from least human to most human as they go. And pushing through another door, he enters into a dark room with a giant Jackson Pollock painting on the wall. He goes to pick up a phone and the console asks him to insert the key card to use it. But just before he does, Nathan yells out from the shadows on the other side of the room that he doesn't have access to the phone. <laughs> then we cut to a great shot of Oscar Isaac lounging on the couch, looking trash, looking down and straight, completely trashed, just like the <laughs> most hooded eyes. It's Nathan lounging on the couch and he asks who Caleb was going to call and goes on to make a Ghostbusters joke. Caleb says he's just wondering how the phone works. I love how awkward the entire scene is. But also, because you're like being caught snooping around. It doesn't matter how your intentions Mm -hmm. were. It's like, I love how they pan the scene here or like the the camera pans. So you see the bottle and then Uh you see Nathan. Oh, that was so good because it scared (laughs) me as well. Like the entire scene setting was well done. But also, I love how basically Oscar Isaac is either a genius or just trash the entire movie. Like, there's no in-between. Yes. Or maybe a drunk genius. I don't know. But it's just... <laughs> oh, I'm so uncomfortable because seeing drunk people like that, too. Like, I think you're left wondering the whole time during this movie as well. It's like, he's drunk, but he's a mm-hmm. functioning alcoholic, maybe? Like, is he blacked out? Yeah. How is he functioning, you know? So, mm-hmm. ugh. Poor Caleb at this point. Yeah, Caleb is just trying to figure out what was up with that power cut and the automatic lockdown, um, which prompts Nathan to explain a a key mechanic of this house, which is when the power goes out, the whole compound locks down so that no one could 
you know, trigger a power outage and then break in. And he's like, you know, the power's been going out kind of regularly. Don't worry about it. It's just like an issue with the breaker or something. And they all go off to bed. Caleb is woken up the next day by a woman entering his room and leaving some food. She just sort of like silently enters and leaves. And he's just like, okay, weird. Finding Nathan working out on the upper levels of the house. uh, Nathan apologizes for sending Kyoko to wake him. Um, So we've met the other resident of this home, Kyoko, the robotic assistant. Well, he doesn't know she's a robot yet. That's true. This was something that tripped me up because the first time I watched this movie, I was like, "That's a ro- that's a that's an AI lady." I don't know a lot. Yeah, that's an AI I know, lady. She's not. She doesn't belong <laughs> here. Like she's not real, right? Or like, like she, something. She's too weirdly quiet. The way Nathan explains it away is that she doesn't speak any English, and that's why she doesn't like ever respond to anyone. I'm like, no, that can't. That's not it. I'm sorry. Yeah. But no. No, but the fact that Caleb, uh, yeah, Caleb fell for that for a little bit at least, right? Like, yeah. I mean, that was his way of yeah. telling him, like, "Hey, she's actually human." But I think mm-hmm. in this, um, it's not so subtle, but like, you know, in high school, I totally flew over my head. But this is the first inkling, Nathan making an inappropriate joke. And you're like, wait, he's kind of a pervert, too. Because he's like, yeah. what was it? Something, something wake up call or whatever? Like, uh-huh, like elbow yes. nudge, nudge, wink. Uh-huh. Like, oh. <laughs> and I was like, wait, hold on, you suck. Like, oh, you're like using her. Yeah. But I didn't know that at, in the beginning because obviously i'm not gonna think that way yeah nathan starts out just unsettling but over the course of the movie becomes like full-on he sucks villainous yeah (laughs) he just sucks (laughs) um he asks caleb what his plan for day two is and caleb's like well i'm not sure because having a conversation with ava feels like a closed loop it's like trying to test a chess computer by only playing chess against it so Nathan suggests that he just focus on simple answers to simple questions, like, how does she feel about you? And so we enter Ava session two. Ava shows Caleb a drawing she's made. Uh, it's very, like, abstract gray sheet and seems distressed that he doesn't know what it is. She does drawings every day, but she doesn't really know what they're of. So he suggests she try drawing something specific. She seems a little disappointed when he doesn't give her a straight answer of something specific to draw. He leaves it up to her. And asks if he would like to be her friend. He says yes. And she's like, okay, well then if we're going to be friends, I need to learn about you. It can't just all be a one-sided conversation. Uh, And so Caleb talks about himself. He explains he works at Blue Book, which is code for Google in this movie. Oh, (laughs) It is the company that Nathan owns. It's a search engine that's just super popular, used by everyone in the world. It's like, okay, we understand. We understand what the, the parallel here is. Caleb lives on Long Island, New York represent, and uh, in a kind of small apartment, a five-minute walk from the office in the ocean. Um, then Ava begins to ask Caleb about his love life. Is he single? Is What's his family like? And he explains Status that he is single. <laughs> Status change to single. <laughs> he has no family. He had no siblings. And both of his parents died in a car crash when he was 15 that he was also in. And while he was in the hospital, that's where he got into coding. I loved that part because when you first see him change in his creepy little room, you see the scars <laughs> on his back. Yeah. So and I like completely forgot about that, and I was like, "Oh, that's from the car crash." Mm-hmm. But oh my god, Ava's expression here was like so fantastic. And you have to remember, she's a robot, yes. but you see her devastation too, or like her sadness. We don't know if it's planned or not, but like, wow, I. Uh, Alicia Vikander is amazing. Like, she is fantastic here. I think she did a... a I just... I can't. I'm, like, fangirling over robot slash human here. Like, it's... <laughs> a, it's she did such a good job. Yeah. She does a fantastic job of doing, like, 
very subtle emoting in a way that still feels like it could possibly go either way into humanity or robotic, but still has enough of that um, human emotive element in it that you can always tell how Ava is feeling. Mm Mm-hmm. As Caleb is ta- finishes up talking, he explains that he and Nathan are different because Nathan is more like Mozart, and Ava starts to kind of push him on whether or not he's good friends with Nathan. And as he's stumbling over this question, the power cuts out, lights going red once again, including Nathan's feed through the cameras. Ava tells Caleb that he's wrong about Nathan, that he isn't his friend, and that he shouldn't trust him. And as she finishes this sort of cryptic warning, the power comes back on, and Ava covers by talking about a list of books they could read and then mutually discuss. Later that night at dinner... (sighs) I have feelings uh, about that. Yeah? Do tell. I mean, is this only session two? And it's like, girl, you're escalating so quickly. (laughs) But like, That's true. She does have limited time to work with. Oh, that's two. true. But at this point, we don't know that either. Because you're just like, whoa, mm. hello, nice to meet you. By the way, you shouldn't trust your employer. <laughs> like, okay, why? I don't know. Yes. They did a good job at setting the foreboding tone here. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's very unsettling. A robot's telling you yes. not to trust the person who's keeping you as a guest here, who's cut you off from the world. Okay, where do we go from there? <laughs> Right. And much like us, Caleb doesn't really know what to do with that information at first. Mm-hmm. Uh, at dinner that night, Kyoko knocks over a glass of wine and Nathan like gets really mad at her and freaks out. And he, This is where he explains that she doesn't understand English. Uh, he's very rude before sending her away and we get more of a sense of how poorly he treats people around him. Nathan talks more about the power cuts. He makes a bit of an off-color joke about how he had the installers all killed afterwards <laughs> so that no one could reveal the secrets of his compound. But he doesn't immediately say it's a joke afterwards. Um, and it's very off-putting. Uh, and then he begins to ask about how the quest, the test went. Wait, what if the, you know, the previous AIs he built, what if those were robots that he had built the complex <laughs> and just like turned them off? Ooh. All right, I, th- I think that's Ooh, a stretch. Spooky. But I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he has a real life like helicopter pilot. So maybe. Yeah. At least for... He doesn't that one employee that we know exists and doesn't get anywhere near the compound. <laughs> That's true. Caleb says that the joke that Ava made, because when he asked her, you know, you decide what to draw, she threw that line back at him later on, is the best indication of AI so far, since it's something she could only do if she was aware of her own mind and his own mind. Um, and then Nathan prompts him about what happened during the power cut. It's the only part I couldn't see. Uh, and Caleb says nothing, which Nathan seems surprised by, but doesn't particularly press. I would say just more awkwardness because you're like, dude, lie or tell the truth, right? But he just stumbles. Yeah. He fumbles around and just nothing comes of it. And I think that is like the most obviously intentional, but most unsatisfactory scenario that could have <laughs> happened. Like there's no strife. Yeah. I need something there, <laughs> but there's nothing. Ugh. I think Caleb's poor lying skills does help keep the audience on their toes in terms of us not knowing how much Nathan is buying. Because I think something that Oscar Isaac does well is play like an unreadable expression in a really emotive way. And what he's doing here is pretty much just like saying, 
keeping Nathan's expression very neutral. And so you're not sure how much he's buying and how much trouble Caleb is getting himself into. And I think that's a really, that that's a big tension throughout a lot of the movie is mm-hmm. just how deep in is Caleb versus how much does Nathan know. That dynamic is that sort of like push and pull really builds as we do through the rest of the movie. That night, Caleb watches Ava again on the TV in his room. And once more, she turns to look at the camera. Caleb exits his room to find Nathan waiting, who asks if he wants to see something cool. And they go to a lab scattered with mechanical parts that all look like pieces of Ava, and it is in fact the AI lab where Ava was created. Nathan explains that he turned on every single cell camera, laptop camera, any camera in any piece of technology on the planet to gather the info to teach his AI how to read and make human facial expressions, which is uh, calls back to the beginning of the movie when we saw um, Caleb get his invitation to come visit Nathan, and we would see it from the camera's perspective sort of logging his expression. Which is a huge invasion of privacy. No kidding. Uh, <laughs> Nathan is going full like Lex Luthor supervillain at this point. Nathan <laughs> holds up this blue glowing orb and explains that this is the mind that is in Ava. It's this uh, kind of like gel tech that can be malleable gel. and grow. Yes. And uh, explains that the software powering her is Blue Book, his search engine. Essentially, all of human information and all of human choice in one place. It makes sense, right? Like, just take the entire yeah. world's data and put it into your AI. Cool, you just monopolized AI and your internet already. <laughs> Which is, I guess, I, I hate the whole, like, well, data companies knew, but they couldn't get me without outing themselves. I'm like, you're just like a sneaky son of a bitch. But at the same time, it happens. It's so true. It's capitalism at its finest. Mm-hmm. But, like, you hate that he's correct, I think. Here. Right. Because, like, Caleb's just like, okay, like I can't do anything about that. This mm-hmm. guy literally has He's the saying things that we take for granted as true, but are still unsettling to hear said aloud, and unsettling to have a character so overtly used in this way. He doesn't have boundaries. That's what it is, too. Because yeah. it's like, no one would do... Well, ideally, no one would be doing that and abusing the data, but he's getting that data and then further using it even more. And I think he just doesn't care. Which I love, though. I do love him as a as a villain. <laughs> no, it makes him a great character. Uh, it would just be terrifying in a real person. Um, <laughs> we then enter Ava session three. Ava shows off another drawing, this time a little scene of a garden that she can see from her room. It's the only green space that she can see. Caleb asks Ava if she's ever been outside of this building, and she's like, I've never even left this room. And he asks her, where would you go if you could go outside? And after a moment's thought, she lands on a, a tra- busy traffic intersection so that she could go people watching because you could see a breath of human experience and just moments standing there. She says that we could go together and he offhandedly jokes, it's a date, uh, which seems to really strike her. She says that she has something else to show him, asks him to close his eyes and walks off for a moment, flipping through a closet in another room, pulling out a floral print dress. And uh, we see a, a kind of very slow s- sequence of her getting dressed and putting on all these like more human elements. Uh, and as she and re-enters the room, she's dressed uh, almost with like a childlike innocence. She's got this like floral print dress on, like the white stockings, mm-hmm. the cardigan. I'm uncomfortable. Tells Caleb to open his eyes. I'm so uncomfortable yeah. with this scene because I'm like, oh, wait, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Nathan's watching them already. So it's some weird form of like sick voyeurism as well. Why did he even bother giving her clothes? I'm curious about that. And why did you pick the like most mm. infantilized 
style of oh I, I just everything about it is just yeah. so questionable and kind of perverse in my opinion mm. sorry I I like no I'm like again probably overanalyzing but this <laughs> at the same time this was all very intentional that dress was not casually tossed there yeah no it's there's a lot of intention behind it I was always struck by how like innocent it makes Ava look mm-hmm. because she is very much she's um she's one she's one <laughs> <laughs> she's this she's not necessarily young she's not necessarily um naive or anything uh in the way that some, a lot of characters who are just younger often are but she is very much um new into the world she doesn't really have any past sins or anything so you would say and so making her look so uh innocent and approachable could could be something that nathan is doing to try and get caleb and ava to bond could be more symbolic in the film itself to be like this is a that's true this is a character who has a semblance of innocence and of herself um it's everything in this film is very intentional <laughs> Yeah. Oh, we and we we know for sure. (laughs) I I would say, which means you can spend a lot of time reading into pretty much every decision that they made. And we're probably gonna be on point. Is a habit I've been in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least we know. Now we can like analyze each piece, but like during the movie, I think Mm -hmm. it's just like your mind is going so fast that you don't really, you obviously don't have the time to think about like why that dress. Yeah. Why am I uncomfortable? Oh, that dress. Anyways, let's let's move on from the dress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Ava's asked Caleb if he likes the dress, and she's like, "If uh, this is what I would wear on our date," and she explains that I she would like to go on a date with Caleb and ask if he's attracted to her, uh, and his micro expressions, as she calls them, betray him. Uh, she kind of presses the issue. She's like, "Do you think about me when we're not together?" Uh, and we cut to later that night where Caleb is watching on the cameras again as Ava is going about her business. Later on, Kyoko <laughs> cuts some fish as Caleb asks Nathan about why he gave Ava sexuality. And Nathan is like, well, A, it's fun. Uh, and B, you know, why else do people interact if not for their inherent sexuality? And that's sort of his thesis on it. I don't know how much I agree with Nathan's thesis on this movie. I, I think, think there are other reasons agreeable. to interact with people. But yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I do like this... P- I don't know if I'm jumping ahead because I don't remember if this was during session four or not, but during session three, Mm -hmm. maybe goes into like, dude, are you into girls or not? Right. And it's like, I, Caleb goes like, um, no one programmed me this way. And he was like, wait, so you picked to be straight? Like, dude, who taught you? Like, did you (laughs) learn through algorithms to pick like black chicks or whatnot in his words? And that Uh was such, that question is so relevant right now. And it's, so that's mm-hmm. why I say this movie aged well, because it makes you think about so many important things around your identity <laughs> and around like creation. Mm-hmm. Right. So I was just like, oh, my God, this this writing is done so well and it's so progressive. But in its context, it's so gross. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Was it this scene? I, I don't know if I jumped ahead, but that's. Yes. It, no, okay. this, that was the scene. The one where Nathan reveals that Ava absolutely can fuck and explains it in far too much detail. (laughs) Caleb then asks if he gave Ava sexuality as a distraction. Did you program her to flirt with me? Uh, Which is a question that Nathan adamantly dodges. uh, Gets very annoyed with telling Caleb to follow him. uh, Where they go back to the phone room with the giant Jackson Pollock. And Nathan talks about said artists and his automatic art where he just let he just didn't think it just did art and how if he had actually thought or had just thought he would have never made a single mark on the canvas the point being that Ava isn't pretending to like Caleb it's an it's automatic it's done without 
without thinking, without planning. Uh, and on this kind of note, we go into Ava session four. Oh, there we go. Okay, I will yes. say, though, Caleb is pretty self-centered at this point, in my opinion, here. Yeah. Because it's like, dude, we didn't create an AI from Blue Book just to flirt with you. Just saying. Yeah, I, I, I see that. I think in the context of doing the Turing test, like, true, the idea is to convince Caleb specifically, because we'll learn later on that Caleb was chosen specifically, in order to convince Caleb to do the test the way Nathan wants it to be done, there could be an argument to be made for why he would want Caleb to connect with Ava uh, on a deeper level. That's true. It's like God is yeah. kind of creating the fate itself here. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, Caleb is certainly caught up in his own world, but he's also in a, a building with ostensibly two other people who are mostly not talking to him. So I don't fault him too much for being a little in his own head about this one. Yeah. Oh, you know what? That's fair. I'm not as empathetic with Caleb here. <laughs> I, I don't think I empathize with yeah. Caleb at all, actually. <laughs> uh, so this time during their session, Ava is once again dressed in her uh, little outfit as they chat. Caleb is talking about an AI theory class he took where they learned the preamble of Mary in the black and white room. Uh, it's about a woman who knows everything about color but has only lived in a black and white room until one day the door was opened and she learned what it was to see color. And as he tells the story, we sort of cross cut with the parallels in Ava's life. You know, she is a search engine, essentially. She knows everything there is to know about humanity, but she spent her entire life in this this small room underground. And Caleb explains that the computer mind is Mary when she's in the room mm -hmm. and the human is when she walks out and she understands what it is to see color. And Caleb then sw kind of switches gears to ask Ava if she knew that he was there to test her. Uh, and she says that she didn't. He explains why he was brought there and asks how that makes Ava feel when she seems sad about the whole situation. Uh, and as she sort of says, like, I feel sad about this, the power cuts out once again. Caleb asks Ava if she thinks these blackouts are just a way for Nathan to observe them when they think he isn't watching. And Ava reveals that she's actually the one causing the cuts uh, by, like, overloading the circuits or something um, and puts her hand to the glass. Which is interesting because I, you don't know how she does it mm -hmm. like she you think it's because she's putting her hand on the glass but the first couple times she does it you don't really see that i i am <laughs> i've just always been kind of like curious about that it's a it's a it's a good it's a thinky sci-fi is a category unto itself and certainly this falls into that category yeah <laughs> later on outside by a waterfall nathan and caleb are admiring the view uh, they move next to a glacier where Caleb confronts Nathan about the lies he's been spinning. He's like, I wasn't just randomly selected. I didn't win a contest. Uh, Nathan's like, yeah, no, I needed someone who would ask the right questions. Uh, you weren't lucky. You were chosen to do this test. So we kind of un unravel the, the backstory of how Caleb got here in the first place and also throw it out the window at the same time because Caleb was very specifically selected for this test. Later on, as Caleb uh, showers, he daydreams of him and Ava out in the woods. Uh, and as they that sort of like romantic tension builds in that scene, Nathan works out and then begins to kiss Kyoko uh, and sort of cross cut between those two. Oh my God, wait, can we go back to session, like before even session one where like Nate, <laughs> so gross, but like Nathan's <laughs> boxing, right? He's in his sweat, his uh -huh. sweaty clothes, and he just lays across Caleb's bed. <laughs> I was, I know it's not important, but I just thought of that, and I was so grossed out because, like, ew, I mean, it's gross. It is gross. Yeah. So, so I just <laughs> no, thought you of that. No, you're one hundred percent right. 
I had like saw that and I'm like, why didn't you change? Like, oh my god. So <laughs> just don't uh, sit oh. on your bro's bed in your sweaty sweatpants. I know. It's just like Take a covered shower. his bed in sweat. Do Ew. your laundry. Ew, I know. <laughs> Those are fresh sheets. Yeah. Or they're <laughs> dusty, you never know. But yep. yeah, I wasn't surprised by this part, but I was kind of like also it was just like really dude or like ah like <laughs> it was just like it wasn't like oh sexy it was like oh sexy you know like there wasn't anything exciting about it um yeah it's definitely it's it's off-putting in the same way that a lot of the interactions in this movie are off-putting rather than necessarily being like titillating or something and the parallels between the two because uh, caleb and ava out in the woods is almost very um dreamlike and innocent but because it is cross-cut with uh, the much more sinister Nathan and Kyoko scene, it it kind of taints both of them in both directions. I never really thought of it that way. Oh, and I, yeah. I do like how they the Ava and Nathan, uh, Caleb scene is black and white. I do like that part. Yes. To, they do a little bit to show us that, because uh, Nathan will have a, or not Nathan, Caleb will have a few moments where he daydreams of him and Ava off in the woods or what have you. Mm-hmm. And every time they do a daydream sequence, it is in that black and white to indicate that it's not, mm-hmm. it's not real, hasn't happened. It's just all in uh, Caleb's head. Speaking of all in Caleb's head, he's shaving in the bathroom. And the, while he's doing so, the video feed of Ava shows Nathan walk into her room he examines her for a moment, uh, and as he's looking at her, Caleb notices him on the monitor. Nathan then tears up Ava's drawing and walks out, having ruined her little connection to humanity there. Uh, no, I, I think it's explained later, but I, my question is, like, why did that happen? <laughs> but we don't. I don't mm. think we get the explanation, per se. We kind of do later on. Yeah. We'll learn why Nathan went into that room and, and did that, uh... And Nathan, it's kind of established throughout this movie, doesn't really care for his creations in the same way that uh, he doesn't he doesn't connect with them on a personal level. He really continues to think of them as devices, even though he's having someone come in and take the Turing test with his AI that is ostensibly passing. It's a tricky situation. Yeah. Caleb tears out of his room and he finds Kyoko staring at the Jackson Pollock. Uh, he tries to get her to tell him where Nathan is, but she just turns and starts uh, undressing, which Caleb tries to stop. And as he's doing so, Nathan walks in and tell to tell him that he's wasting his time and what he should try doing is dancing with her. And as he says that, music kicks up and uh, Kyoko and Nathan start dancing as Caleb just looks on in shock and horror, uh, <laughs> trying to figure scene. out what Nathan was doing with Ava. It's- <laughs> Oh my it's the God. most sinister disco that has ever discoed. It's so, you're right. It's so true. I, it screams awkward. But I also, my question is, what are the bloopers of this scene? Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I would have just been laughing. Like if I was Sonoya, I would have Just like a one hour mix of all of the takes of Oscar Isaac like jamming out. <laughs> I know. It's not It's not even about Sonoya dancing. It's about Oscar Isaac and Domino Gleason just having a good time here at this point. But like- yeah. Oh my god, whoever thought of this scene is like a mad genius because it just <laughs> makes you want to like scream at the scene. At least for yeah. me again. So. Yeah. It's a great like tone shift moment of like, oh my god, there's so much disconnect between how serious Caleb is taking this moment and how little Nathan seems to care. Mm-hmm. Walking down the hall, Nathan, very drunk, Caleb helps him back to his room. Inside is a series of mirrored cabinets, and uh, as Nathan collapses in his bed, the lights turn out, and uh, Caleb heads out. It's now time for Ava Session 5. Here we go. 
Today, Ava says that she's going to test Caleb, and she's like, don't lie, I'll know if you lie, and starts by asking him his favorite color, which he says is red, but she's like, that's a lie, so he adjusts his answer to be like, well, I don't really have a favorite color. She asks about his earliest memory, and he talks about the sensation of the sound and sky and his mother's voice. Uh, she asks if he's a good person, and he laughs uncomfortably and asks if they could stop, but she's like, no, you have to answer. Uh, so he's like, I think I think I am. Uh, and her last question is what will happen to her if she fails his test? And she seems worried that she's going to get switched off if she fails something that she's like, this couldn't, when you get tested, you're not worried about being switched off as a human. She shows him his, her torn up drawing, this time of Caleb's face. And as she does, the power goes out once more. And Ava asks Caleb if she he wants to be with her. Before we hear his answer, we cut away to Caleb and Nathan talking outside once more. Caleb kind of asks him about why he made Ava, and Nathan explains that this is just the next model. There will be another one after Ava that'll be a true breakthrough. Um, and Caleb, you know, further prods, what do you what do you do with the old models when you make the new ones? Uh, and Nathan reveals, like, I, I essentially take them apart. We wipe the memory and, you know, use the circuitry for future projects. So essentially, Na a Ava will no longer exist when the new model is created. They take the opportunity to quote the creation of the atomic bomb. And then Caleb pours them another glass, letting Nathan get super blasted. <laughs> <laughs> There's no other way to describe it, but Nathan is uh, blackout drunk, mumbling about being Promethean, about subtext, and then promptly passes out on the couch. Caleb steals the card key from Nathan's pocket as he sleeps and goes to the computer bay in his room where Nathan watches the Ava sessions. Caleb begins to watch back the footage of Nathan building some of the previous models, all of whom ask about why they won't be let out. They get more and more frantic, more and more distressed, trying to break out of the room that they're in. Ugh. We see one tear her hands apart yeah, as she slams Jade against model. the door. Oh, that was uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, seeing this, he turns around and finds Kyoko na naked on the bed. Watching him, he as he opens up all of the cabinets, each containing another one of the previous uh, models. And as he does so, Nathan sort of like rouses on the couch and Kyoko gets up to face Caleb. Uh, Kyoko peels back her skin to reveal that she is also a robot made in the same way Ava was, showing off all of the mechanical circuitry underneath. Nathan, stumbling down the hall, arrives at his door, thinking that he lost his key card, only for Caleb to walk out and help his very drunk uh, Nathan, quote-unquote, find his card on the floor. Oh, actually, no, I, I want to finish <laughs> this whole scene before, like, we talk about this, because I think this is, like, the most pinnacle, I guess, scene. Yes. This is the kind of a turning point in the movie. Um, as Caleb's mind plays back to the images of Kyoko's mechanics under her skin, he examines himself in the mirror, pulling at his face to see if it peels away. Uh, he takes a razor and cuts his wrists, bleeding, and seeing that he's not a robot, but losing a lot of blood in the process. He wipes a bloody hand over the mirror before punching it and cracking it, which we see in monitor view where Kyoko was watching. Uh, and it's sort of like this spiral into trying to convince himself of his own humanity that Caleb has gone on. Oh, okay. There are so many existential things here mm. that make you just like, you can't like th this movie is just so much that you can't possibly think about all of this in one scene, but it's, <laughs> oh my God. Like when they quote Oppenheimer, I'm like, you realize actually, I don't know if you know this, but the, the, um, orchestral music that's playing in the living room from the beginning mm -hmm. of the movie till now it's the same uh 
orchestral music that's played in the uh but they make that connection mm. like in real life that's like what was played right for like during you know the atomic bomb see i forget how they connected it but there is that uh-huh. right and then <laughs> and then um when oscar isaac what's it, nathan is quoting when he's like drunk on the couch quoting whatever it's the hindu uh mm-hmm. it's a hindu poem and so it's mm. like this is just so first of all he definitely affirms again that he has a god complex but you kind of he's crying at the same time too so you're like trying to piece together why he's crying but you can't make sense of it so you're like do i feel bad for him or not Mm -hmm. and then also i have to say like i kind of laughed at caleb at this point and i understand it Mm. i totally get where he's coming from this is like westworld black mirror shit here but mm-hmm. at the same time, I'm like, dude, you could have done this in a much more or much less metal way to figure out if you were human or not. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't also know why that anger is there. You know, like you get why he's angry, but at the same time, I don't I don't know how I feel about the anger, but I just I'm curious as to why it's there. I think this is the point where we really see Caleb move from sort of just like being a passive observer to really actively participating in the situation. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it is because now he understands the full context of what's happening. And with his understanding of Ava, at this point, it's pretty clear he thinks that she is passing said Turing test. I have to wonder if maybe his mindset is, here are all these past lives that have been destroyed that may very well have been fully conscious to have gotten to Ava at the first place that it just becomes a full tragedy in his mind. And I wonder if that's where that anger is coming from. Uh, The scene where he tries to figure out if he is a robot or not has always been one of the most intense of the movie for me personally. He's hurting himself. He's he's hurting himself badly. The music gets intense. It's just like the the color is very intense. But I was never 100% sure if I understood the jump from, well, this person that I thought was a human, but turns out to have been a robot to maybe I'm a robot exists. Although I think it does give a sense of like his mental state and his understanding of his connection from reality deteriorating in a lot of ways because he's isolated in this crazy estate in the middle of nowhere and fully absorbed into this mind bending thing that's going on and happening to him. So from that angle, I kind of understand it. Although I think this is also where I start to disassociate with Caleb as an audience member. I start to think like, okay, now you've left the realm of being a surrogate character and you've fully become a character of the movie in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's true. That's a really good way to put it. It's weird that he thinks that because Ava knows she's not human in a way. Mm-hmm. But like, right. and that's what also differentiates them. He, Caleb can't tell, right? And it's like, dude, right. you're not Ava you don't have that level of cognition so like you can chill Mm -hmm. so honestly he's just losing his mind at this point like he's gone off the hook here which is honestly again i i I don't empathize with him but it's i wouldn't say amusing to watch that sounds really mean but (laughs) it's very like i'm just very curious at this point like how far Mm. will he go um, also, mm-hmm. sorry, I forgot this important. This part of dialogue too is important because Nathan asks if Caleb feels bad for her, but doesn't let mm-hmm. Caleb talk, right? Because you know he goes on, but he's like, "No, right. feel bad for the humans because they're the AI will look at us and pity us." 
which mm. is like I guess everyone's fear right now in the real world of yeah. like being becoming obsolete or like the AI taking over. But, that's a that's yeah. a very go to AI fear in science fiction. Too. I hate like, that. We're trope. gonna build create something that surpasses humanity, and then what do we do? Is that is that creation gonna look down on us? How will we react? It's not my favorite sci fi trope, but it is hard to do an AI related movie and not touch on that in some capacity. And I appreciate that the way that they've chosen to touch on it is kind of just to mention it once and then sort of move forward with their the plot that they've been setting up up till now. Yeah. Because it's never really a question of is the AI better than humanity or not. It's a much more interpersonal story than that. It's much more about like Ava and evolution, uh, Caleb and Nathan than it is the nature of humanity changing. I mean, it's interesting how they bring up that AI is an evolution rather than an an intentional thing. Like it was bound to happen. Mm -hmm. It was just when, not like why or what. Which is, again, very interesting to me because i guess we're just it's either it's like were we meant to create a better human or were we meant to be our own destruction so i Mm -hmm. think i i really appreciate that dialogue but it again it happens so quickly that you don't really have time to think about it yeah but they throw these quips and you're like whoa i gotta (laughs) think about that and they're already moving on to the next scene there was not a lot of things that could ground you in this movie it's yeah. just like one like big thing after another and you're like oh like where am i going i'm like floating around all these <laughs> questions i can't like stay still and think yeah it gives you a lot to chew on and just kind of keeps moving uh speaking of keeping moving ava session six oh, uh God, ava is six. <laughs> huddled in the corner and she says she doesn't didn't know where caleb was as he walks in he's a day late but he just kind of stays silent he's like i'm waiting Ava blows the circuits and they go into another power outage and Caleb immediately starts talking like, you were right about Nathan. I'm going to help you. We're getting out of here tonight. And he runs through his plan. Get Nathan drunk, steal the key card, bust them out with Ava triggering a power failure at 10 p.m. Later on, we see Caleb sort of pondering as Nathan walks into the kitchen. It's his last day here. The helicopter is going to arrive the next morning. Nathan says that he'll miss having Caleb around and Caleb's like, yep, it's been a trip. Trying not to be super overtly awkward, but still being a terrible actor because Domino Gleason being a great actor, playing someone who is a terrible actor is a little bit of a mind loop there, but it works really well. Um, <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> I just thought of um... <sighs> Bellatrix Lestrange. You remember? Like Hermione pretending yes, to be her, but yes. it's actually her. Yeah, that mind loop. Oh, that was so good. Yep. Basically. Uh, Caleb pulls out a bottle of vodka and he's like, we should drink to that. But Nathan turns the drink down, saying that he's been overdoing it recently and has decided to detox, which throws a serious wrench in Caleb's plan to get him blasted. Nathan asks, like, if Ava passed the test. And Caleb's like, yes, she definitely passed the Turing test. Uh, And Nathan kind of asks, like, well, how'd you get past the chest problem? You know, how do you know if Ava can can like you or is just pretending to like you? Uh, which Woo-hoo. is when Nathan starts to reveal that he he's in on it. He saw a tape of Caleb punching the mirror. He he knows that he wants to help Ava escape. And now Nathan is trying to appeal to Caleb. Uh, as this is happening, Kyoko goes to see Ava. Ava doesn't seem to recognize her, but they seem to have some sort of connection. Nathan shows Caleb footage of him with Ava. The footage we saw earlier where Nathan walked in and ripped up her picture this time it has audio, and Nathan asks if Ava thinks that Caleb is watching them right now. And 
when Ava asks if Nathan thinks it's strange to have made something that hates her, he rips up her picture and he explains that he ripped up the paper as a misdirection. And as you know, she was distracted by the ripped paper and Caleb was distracted by it. Nathan planted a battery powered camera in the room and he's used that to see their blackout conversations, which is how he knows about the escape plan. Caleb realizes that Caleb was the test all along. Ava had to use him in order to try and escape, and he wasn't selected because he was good at coding. He was selected based on his search engine inputs. They knew that he was uh, pretty much alone in the world, no family, no significant other. That's depressing. Nathan's like, yes, you got it. It's so depressing. (laughs) Wait, I forgot about that bit. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, Caleb's situation is truly despondent nathan's like the test worked too ava dispelled a true ai and tries to justify himself but as he's doing so the power goes out once more the whole room becomes bathed in a red light nathan asks caleb how his plan was supposed to go and caleb's like i was going to reprogram the lockdown procedure so all the doors opened instead of sealed and as nathan's like that just may have worked caleb says well we'll find out I figured you were watching us during the power outages, so I did all of my programming yesterday when you were drunk. And so the escape plan is actually in full swing. The power comes back on, and Nathan sees on the monitor that Ava has escaped. Spooky hallway. Yes, back to our favorite spooky hallway. Ava is walking down at this time past the line of faces, and as she stops to look at the most humanoid one... Kyoko meets her at the end of the hall. Nathan punches Caleb, knocking him out. That's a good punch. uh, And takes... It's a really hefty punch. punch. He takes one of the metal bars from his weights and heads out into the hallway. Ava sort of whispers something to Kyoko as Nathan enters the spooky sci-fi hallway, and he calls to Ava, telling her to go back to her room. She asks if she does, if he'll ever let her out, and starts walking towards him, eventually picking up speed and tackling him. The two wrestle, and eventually he uh, gets the upper hand and stands up, uh, taking off one of her arms with a swing of his bar, but as he pulls her back down the hall, Kyoko stabs him from behind. Oh, I <laughs> love this scene so much. Um, oh, okay, wait, Nathan, oh, finish it. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Finish it and then, oh, yeah. my God, oh my God. Nathan takes off Kyoko's jaw with the bar and as she crumples, Ava stabs him from the front and Nathan stumbles further down the hall saying that the whole situation is fucking unreal before collapsing against a pillar. Uh, Ava approaches him, takes his key card, and the next title pops up, Ava Session 7. So good. I want to start off with how he lies. Because he mm. he actually says yes. And she can read lies, right? Or like, So she knows right. immediately he's not going to let her out. Which I thought was kind of interesting and pointless of him to lie. You know? I mean, he was in a w- yeah. lose-lose situation. But I was like, you should have won your fight here. I think nathan's arrogance got the best of him exactly mm-hmm. well i mean beyond past the camera like i'm surprised like nathan didn't see that coming like if he was already seeing all the yeah. camera stuff like how did you like let your how did you let caleb like let you black out yeah i get the sense that nathan thought that ava might turn on him but i think the real twist of this scene is that kyoko does as well uh, because up till now, we've only seen her to do what Nathan has programmed her to do. And so for her to turn on him as well, after we've seen him mistreat her this whole movie, 
is very poignant. And I think that that's what really gets him. Because once she stabs him, the scene turns and Nathan no longer has that upper hand. And that's mm-hmm. when Ava is able to truly win. The shock on his face was like so good. Like he was yeah, so- Yeah, good job, Oscar Isaac. <laughs> I, uh, I know. But also, can we talk about that knife? Like, everyone's shocked about how smoothly this knife goes so into So smoothly. It's like butter. Like, like it's butter it freaky. does. <laughs> it's freaky, right? Like It's slow, it's smooth, it's almost like passing through. Like, it's like, um, like a prop knife where the blade yeah, recesses and it's not actually sharp. It, that's what it feels like. Because it is a feeling that the knife projects. It's not just a sound and a look. I mean, it's the same knife she uses to prep sushi and kill things with, though. At the end, I don't know mm-hmm. if the, the scene had in the movie. I don't know if she cuts an animal or not because that's in the script. But I don't know if it's actually in the movie. But mm. it's the knife she's she making sushi at one point. Yeah. yeah, I remember. So in the uh, off topic, but in the Lord of the Rings movies, remember, um, <laughs> Sir Christopher Lee, rest in peace. Yes. he talks about what it's like to be stabbed because he's a former agent. And there was the mm-hmm. movie director was talking about an interview with Sir Christopher Lee of, of like when you get stabbed you don't like make a lot of noise you lose your breath right and like whatnot and i loved how realistic this part was because you just see his shock you see nathan's shock you see him trying Mm -hmm. to figure out what's going on he lose his he's losing his breath because he's like what the fuck that to me i was just like wow they did their research here of course they did their research Mm -hmm. but wow they actually figured out how to murder someone properly on screen (laughs) which is kind of freaky though because again like God's creations are turning on him and killing him here, you know? (laughs) Quite exactly, yeah. It's so, oh my god, it's so good. But my whole thing is like, wait, he's dead? Like, I kept thinking, like, he's gonna, somehow he's gonna come back up. Or like, no, he can't (laughs) die. I don't know why, but I'm still rooting for Nathan here. Which is wrong. (laughs) He's not the good guy. No. But I don't want the AI to win either. Just simply because... I don't know why I don't want them to get out, you know? Like, hmm. I, I don't, my feelings are very That's weird interesting. Here. Yeah, I think I had the opposite reaction where really? I was like, yes, Ava's working. Because at this point, the movie has done such a good job of humanizing Ava for me that I have stopped thinking of her as AI and I have started thinking of her as a person who is trapped. Uh, in, in from that angle, I want Nathan stopped. That's true. I am looking at this in hindsight. I think when you first watch it, you're like, yes, yes, yes. Like, go out, like, win, right? Like, mm-hmm. be free. Yes. But again, this is why I love this movie. It's because you don't really know who the good person is here mm-hmm. or good guy is. Okay, we all know <laughs> Nathan's the bad guy, like, flat out. But then what about yeah. Caleb and Ava, like, in their context, right? So, But also, yes, uh, Rip Kyoko. That was a good run. I'm surprised that one best. hit took her out, though. It was straight across the jaw. It was a headshot. Um, Maybe, like, it broke her neck. But, yeah, she is an AI. Yeah. I don't know. She's an AI. Uh. AI rules. I don't, I don't I, pretend to know, understand how AI works. She doesn't have main character armor, so that's true. No, unfortunately, she does not have the plot armor of only Ava. Um <sighs> who is now free to roam and enters Nathan's room where Caleb is rousing from being knocked out on the ground. Caleb asks what happened to her arm and she requests that he stay here and then heads over into the adjacent area uh, where the cabinets of previous Ava models lie. Through the glass garden wall, Caleb tries to watch as Ava takes various uh, the skin coverings from the other models and places it over her own mechanical pieces. Very, This scene is... Just, I'm describing it quite quickly, but it happens very slowly and methodically. 
Uh, Ava assembles her new human look. And when she looks at herself in the mirror, uh, taking clothes from a previous version and getting dressed in this all white dress, she looks perfectly human. Walking past Caleb and out of the room, she locks Caleb in behind her. And with one last look to the murdered Nathan uh, and Caleb silently screaming from the locked room behind her, Ava gets in the elevator uh, and exits the basement of this house. She walks through the top floor, looking at all the things that she's been kept from, delighted and in near silence, steps out into the woods, into the most green that she's ever seen in her life, feels the sun on her quote-unquote skin for the first time. Meanwhile, inside, Caleb tries to use his card at the monitors to open the doors, but it just shuts the power down and he desperately tries to break the door open to no avail. He is trapped in this house. Meanwhile, outside, Ava watches the helicopter arrive and she walks over to get on, taking off for humanity and leaving Caleb behind to die in this uh, house in the lockdown mansion. The final scene of the movie at a busy intersection, shadows pass by on the ground, save for one. And as we tilt up, Ava is standing in the intersection just as she had wanted to when Caleb asked her in the past, watching all the people around her. uh, And she walks off, blending in seamlessly with the crowd. And so ends Ex Machina. We did it! (laughs) Woo! Oh my god. Okay, so when we backtrack to like Ava session seven like the beginning mm-hmm. i love how mm-hmm. slow it is because like she's peeling yes. off that like skin but it's like it adheres to her body which was so cool but when they camera pan from like the mirror to her you see like the seams of her skin and when they pan over it all becomes like seamless and it's so cool it's like she went from yes. robot to human within that scene it was so freaking cool like i loved it <laughs> but um yeah I'm sorry, but Caleb, you suck. Like, how did you not see that? You got (laughs) used, bro. Like, that took my mind. Like, that blew my mind when I first saw it. I, again, like I said, I was traumatized for three days. I was like, she just left him. Oh, my God. She just left him. Honestly, yeah, the scariest part of this movie is Caleb being left in this mansion. A hundred percent. I don't necessarily know if I see it as her using him. I think up till that point, she genuinely would have gone with his escape plan had it worked. But I think there's a certain amount of her shedding her old life and taking on a new identity that made her then lock Caleb in that room and just move on from him. I think in her mind, my, my idea of how this ending is going in her mind is that she is just locking everything that she was in that mansion and becoming a completely new person. Whereas I've, I, I'm left to wonder if That's the plan true. had gone off, how they had planned it, if Caleb wouldn't have been able to leave with her. But it is horrifying to imagine being locked in that room. Originally, Caleb was going to get Nathan drunk and they were, he was going to come let her out of the room so they would escape together. And I I do wonder that if they had just left together, if it would have played out in the same way that it did. And I personally, I don't think it would have. No, they weren't going to kill Nathan as part of their plan. They were going to just delay him so they could escape. But the thing is, Ava tells him stay here. Right. And at right. first it's like, oh, let's just not watch her change. And Caleb's being a pervert mm-hmm. anyways. But I think it was intentional from the beginning because even Nathan said, dude, she's using you. Right. Mm. So right. for me, I think that's even more sinister. I, I think you're you have a very valid point, but she's just left him. I mean, definitely she wouldn't want someone to know she's an AI in the world. Right. And like right. she wouldn't that tie that back. But that's why I also think she used him from the beginning of like. I'm going to manipulate him 
Because her yeah. plan was I mean, to get out in the beginning. Yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it. As Nathan kind of says earlier in the movie, you know, Ava is a rat trapped in a maze and the only way out is to use you. And this is a way to use Caleb in this situation. So it does beg the question of like, is, has this been her plan all along? Oh, it's so evil. I love it. Like <laughs> it's Also, okay, her heels bothered me so much. I'm like, girl, those are at least four inches I would not be comfortable. And of course, she's an AI, so whatever. Like, does she feel pain though? That's what I'm curious. She clearly does, has. How can an AI walk in heels? That's the real question at the, the core <laughs> of Ex Machina. <laughs> Jurassic Park. We can run away from dinosaurs in heels. Can we walk upstairs in four-inch Ugh. heels and hike through a river? Sure, why not? So I mean, <laughs> but that also, it's like she's got receptors down there. So what about the pain receptors? Yeah. Right. Like. Mm. Uh, i have thoughts there yeah so i was talking to jason about this uh he's like what if there's a sequel mm-hmm. and he's like what if you know uh caleb gets out i'm like no i want ava i want to see ava in the world evolve yeah like i'm curious so yeah. i i think for me i i liked this movie so much because it was probably the most realistic ai movie um mm. aside from you know like the god even the god complex is pretty realistic but like and <laughs> caleb not being locked in a room i don't know about that but and like <laughs> the flex with all the land but right i think it's like we already have these robots we have like ibm watson we have so many cool like humanoid robots we have boston robotics we have so much stuff going mm-hmm. on it's so realistic and that's why i think this movie has aged well but also, yeah. like you said, I don't think they overdo the trope because you have like uh, I Am mm-hmm. Mother. I don't know if you've seen that on Netflix. That's a really good yes. AI movie, but it's like it's predictable. You know mm-hmm. what's going to happen. Like Westworld. It... <sighs> yeah, it's this is something that you encounter with a lot of science fiction where there are certain tropes associated with certain fractions of it. Um, and AI is one that's been played around with a lot. And if you expand that to robotics, it's been played around with even more. And so there are these kind of like stories that you expect to play out. And in some ways, Ex Machina does play out as a creation betraying the creator's story. But I think that the angle they take to go about it is very unique. And that's part of why I think I like this movie so much in comparison to other mm-hmm. AI-related sci-fi flicks. It's Well, for one thing, it's incredibly well-made. As a oh, geek for that stuff, so I love good. it. But story-wise, it also takes a, a rather unique angle at a somewhat familiar space that they're working in. Do you think? But it's just because to kind of, of bring ending? us home here, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the ending is is part of it. I think some of the questions that they try to ask are maybe more about it than the ending for me. I think mm. uh, you know the questions are less about is this AI human and should will the AI overtake us, which are common in these kind of stories, and more focused on the relationships between the characters themselves. It's more about, does Ava truly love Caleb? How is Caleb feeling about Ava? Uh, what is, what's Nathan's whole deal? And that sort of more human angle to a very um, fantastical story, I think is an interesting way to go about it as opposed to, will the AI kill us all someday? There's no way to know for sure. Which is a very common route for these movies to sort of end up with. And the AI in this situation does kill the human characters, but I don't think it's necessarily supposed to be in this is the natural evolution of humanity way. I think it's more about this is this character coming into her own and finally earning her freedom way, which is a bit of a different angle 
mm-hmm. for that whole character. I mean, it was very much, fuck you, dad, I'm leaving. And then... <laughs> I mean, it's not yes, like thrill, but off. daddy, I'm 16 moment. <laughs> it's not a phase, dad. I mean, she didn't go <laughs> to kill off the rest of humanity. I feel like she could have easily just no. killed... I mean, she does kill Caleb in a sense, but like... Yeah. She's not like violent or destructive. I feel like she's Nathan's not shown got, to be like malicious yeah. to humanity. She's malicious to a man who has trapped and abused her in a room for her entire existence, even if he is the one who created her. And the yeah. other previous AI. Yeah. It's good. You know, there are a lot of other tropes here, just like other mm-hmm. social issues that are brought up in this movie, which I enjoy. Um,. Mm-hmm next time on another different podcast ever <laughs> like this is just that, that's too much for this but it just it really makes you i don't know it brings it, it just makes you think a lot which i really enjoy mm-hmm. but i would like not be able to watch yeah. this movie every day or something i couldn't do that no well that that kind of gets to my let's so just closing thoughts here uh is this a movie you would recommend our viewers go watch and if so oh, yeah. where and when should they watch it what what's what's and what are you just your, like wrap up thoughts on this movie i mean if this podcast was like if this episode was not a spoiler <laughs> enough for someone i would recommend it like at least twice like yeah. definitely get your first thoughts on it and then compare mm-hmm, the, your second mm-hmm. like time around on it I do recognize AI and like sci-fi isn't for everyone though. This movie is very good. It's uh, this something I've realized about this podcast and just kind of like looking at the skew of movies people have picked. It's either the worst best movie you watched in 2005 or like very thinky sci-fi. And this is definitely more on the thinky sci-fi end of that spectrum. Uh, it's beautifully crafted. The cinematography is incredible. Mm-hmm. The special effects are incredible. The score and the, the sound design are. Oh beautiful like i could just listen to the silence in this movie for hours so it's worth a watch but it is not necessarily a fun watch it's enjoyable it's engaging but if you might want to watch it like at like 7 p.m on a tuesday when you are feeling like giving a little more thought to it don't watch it before bed don't do that (laughs) don't make it the last thing you watch before bed build in some time to watch like a video of like puppies or something afterwards because it's gonna make you think for a while and you're gonna need to shut your brain off immediately afterwards yeah but it's it's definitely worth the watch uh it's just a bit more intense than some of our other (laughs) recommendations on this podcast have been yeah i definitely recognize that i was like looking i was like maybe i should have done like kung fu hustle but like it's fine (laughs) (laughs) next time next time yeah yeah we'll see i'm super excited to see what 2022 brings for your podcast because i'm just i want to see a plethora of movies discussed um i'm really (laughs) curious to see who who joins next time oh well thank you so much and on that note we'll wrap up this episode thanks for joining us throughout this whole first year of podcasting and for this very fun uh Fox Machina, Ex Machina episode. I was about to make a critical role <laughs> reference inadvertently. Um, <laughs> what a nerd. What a nerd. As if this was an indication of my nerdiness enough. I, um, I hope you all enjoy whatever movies you choose to watch over the holidays. Flora, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been delightful. Um, I'm off to go ponder the meaning of AI evolution, but uh, we'll catch you all on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for having <laughs> me on the last episode of the year. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Movie Struck. The podcast is going on a bit of a break over the holidays so that I have a chance to catch up on all of those uh, movies I'm supposed to be watching ostensibly. But we will return on January 10th with another great episode. I want to thank you all for taking the time this year to listen. I hope you all have enjoyed the show. And I know I've had a lot of fun doing it and getting to talk to all of these wonderful guests. 
Got a lot more fun ones lined up in the new year. A lot of great movies up on the docket. So I hope you will continue to listen and have a happy holidays. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns in the meantime during the hiatus, feel free to email the podcast at moviestruckpod and gmail.com. And please stay safe, socially distanced, and vaccinated during the holiday season. Thanks for listening.